Good morning. It is good to be with you. It is good for us to be together. Appreciate very much the worship we have engaged in so far. May God be glorified. May he be praised. And may we be, each and every one of us, drawn closer in our allegiance and commitment to him. Truly, God is to be feared. He is to be obeyed. And he is to be worshipped. And he is to be honored. But how? How is God to be honored? The word honor simply means to respect greatly, to regard highly, to esteem richly. And we recognize those basic meanings to be a true reflection of what we mean by honoring God. But with Jehovah God... Words alone are not enough. Oh yes, we are to continually offer the sacrifices of praise to him, which are his due. Yes, we need to use words to worship him, as we have done today. But words alone are not enough. He's worthy of so much more from us. And so we need to honor him in deed and in truth because that's what love does. We have looked at this particular passage a couple times in some previous lessons. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29. Here where you have God is rebuking his judge, his priest Eli, and God warned him about his judgments. Those judgments which which did fall upon Eli's family. And when God said, why do you kick at my sacrifice, at my offering which I commanded in my dwelling? And honor your sons above me. By making yourselves fat with the choices of every offering of my people Israel. In a previous lesson, we talked about the role of godly fathers and how fathers are called to honor God before their children. And they are to do so by their example and by their teaching. There are so many God-ordained ways that the people of God are called and are instructed to show respect, to show regard to the one true God. And so therefore, implementing godly discipline is one of those ways. It's one of the ways we honor God. It's one of the ways we uphold His holiness. I was asked to bring a lesson on this topic, and so hopefully this achieves that request. But what is discipline? What is it? What is godly discipline? Well, the Greek word for our word discipline or or chastening denotes the concept of training, particularly in the Greek, the idea of train children. And when you look at the scriptures in a number of different places, you see that discipline involves a a number of different aspects. For example, discipline involves instruction and teaching. That's part of discipline. It's not limited to that, but that is a component of it. It also involves 
reproving and rebuking when that is necessary. It includes the idea of training that will regulate character, but also it is training which uses even corrective measures when necessary. But the subject of godly discipline actually applies to everybody. Godly discipline applies to everybody. So this is a lesson today. There's going to be some unique applications involving the family. But there is something in the lesson here today for everyone in this room so that they can implement godly discipline in their life. For example, godly discipline begins with you, with the individual's personal life. It also includes... Discipline in involving the family as well as discipline among brethren in Christ. But the chastening of the Lord's bit begins with us as individuals. It begins with ourselves. It begins with you and me as individuals implementing spiritual and moral training which transforms our heart and character. That's part of discipline, and that is personal. Now, the exercise of this is going to require from all, every one of us in all different situations to use some judgments, to use some discerning wisdom from above. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is applying godly discipline to himself. And in a sense, he is discerning his own life, his own path. And what he says at the end of chapter 9 is, he says, I discipline or I chasten my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Here's the Apostle Paul, a preacher of the gospel, who says, I've got to discipline myself. I've got to chase myself. I've got to bring myself in, into, in line with God's will. I've got to apply what I preach to my own life. So I bring myself into subjection to Christ. If we are neglecting to do that, and we may at times do so, neglect the right kind of personal discipline, in our life. But if we're neglecting our own training from the Lord, then the discipline of others becomes ineffective. If we're neglecting our own godly discipline, bring ourselves in line with God, then our disciplining of others becomes ineffective. Let me illustrate it this way with Matthew 7, where it talks about our judging of others. In verse 3, the question is asked, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Here's some admonition and some exhortation about the right kind of discernment and judging of one another. Yeah. And so we need to make sure when we make judgments that they are righteous. They are within God's will and God's design and God's character. And so the question is, why, why am I looking at someone, you know, at someone else's speck when perhaps I've got a huge problem in my own life? 
And then in verse 5, he says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If I am not working at my own discipline of myself, then I, I become ineffective in helping others. For example, let's bring it to kind of the family. Spanking a child because he needs it when you've lost control of your own emotions is not godly discipline. And so when you're okay, I've got to exercise first my own training. And that's an ongoing thing, brethren. It's not like we get it all right one day and we don't have problems another day. No, it's an ongoing thing of bringing ourselves, like Paul says, in line, his body, you know, in service as a mission to the Christ, to the king, you know, as he endeavored to preach a message of salvation to the world, to bring others to Christ. But he recognized he too needed Christ and therefore had to continue to submit to him. And so the point is, both sides of this need discipline. Both need training. The parent needs training and the child needs training. Both need discipline along the way. But God clearly does call for godly discipline, godly training to be you know, exercised in the home. You know, there's no question about that the scriptures teach that. You think about the wisdom literature of God as, as penned by King Solomon when he says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, that principle is still true, and you see that being carried out in the teaching of Christ. Ephesians 6, when he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So yes, God calls first for personal and uh, individual disciplining of ourselves, but also says, yes, but there also needs to be discipline in the home. But he says there needs to be discipline in the church as well. You know, we need to exercise discipline in one, among one another. And so you have, for example, here in 1 Corinthians chapter, you know, chapter 5, where Paul, writing to the church there, talks about the discipline that they were challenged to exercise. I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother who is an immoral person or covetous or idolater or reviler or drunkard or swim, and not even to eat with them. That, those are strong words. Our lesson today is not to talk about this primarily, but clearly there's some discipline that had to be implemented because of the need of that person's soul. James talks about an aspect of discipline when he says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, the idea of turning him back involves discipline. One turns it back, let him know that he, is, he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. But we need to think about this idea of the attitudes that are involved with godly discipline. So-called proper actions without a proper heart and a proper mind are not godliness. Proper actions without proper heart and proper mind are not uh, righteousness. For example, we are called and we are commanded to love. But how? How are we told to love? We're, to, we're told to love with our heart, with our mind, and with our body. 
The point is being we've got to love with a total person. Our total being must learn how to love. It's not just the outward man that needs to be addressed. It is the inward man that needs to be addressed as well. A transformation of the outer man is to be actually the product. The product of transforming genuinely and sincerely the inner man according to God's will. So we need to think about what are our attitudes when it comes to the subject of godly discipline. And so the first question, very briefly we'll touch on, is this, and that is how ought discipline be received? See, it begins with us. It begins with a heart that is receptive to the right kind of discipline. And first of all, it needs to be with respect. I need to receive the discipline of the Lord with respect for God. In Hebrews 12, verse 9, you know, it says, Earthly fathers, you know, you know, we, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? We need to respect both. But what should be my proper attitude as one who is to receive discipline? In a relationship. Well, I must receive it with respect. But also, I need to receive it with humility. James writes about how putting, put aside filthiness, put aside every, whatever remains of wickedness. He says, and humility, receive the word. It's talking about God's word here. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. For godly discipline to be effective... I I must be an individual who is first and foremost receptive to godly discipline. So I must must be respectful. I must respect that discipline. I must receive it with humility. I must also be one who will receive it with obedience. And James also writes, prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers. So I need to respect Exercise humility, but also then I need to apply it. I need to obey that discipline. Once again, discipline involves instruction. It involves rebuke. It involves the training of character. And at times when needed, it involves other measures of correction. But I need to do what the Lord says and teaches. But also, fourthly, and that is, I need to receive it with endurance. That's a tough one. You know, we don't like, we don't like to, idea have, have to endure this. We want it quick, we want it fast, we want it over and be done with, right? Well, the things that are truly of value, the things that are going to truly help us, the things that are going to transform our lives is going to require endurance on our part as receivers of discipline. I must endure you know, the discipline and I must endure con- constantly and receiving it. So first of all, I need to be a person that's willing to receive discipline. But what what about the attitude as one who administers it? How ought discipline be administered? Well, it needs to be done so with godly love. The Lord, in addressing one of the churches in Revelation 3, says, Those whom I love, I reprove in discipline. God disciplines because he loves us. And so our discipline as administers of it 
in various relations. It needs to be done with a godly love, but also needs to be done in truth. Talking to the church at Ephesus, there in chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects. Growing up involves discipline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so you think, spiritually speaking, if I'm going to grow up spiritually in the Lord, it's going, to, it can, it's going to involve some discipline. Me as a receiver of, of it, and also at times me administering it as well. But I need, I need to administer it in truth. I need to do so also with self-examination and with gentleness. Paul, to the churches at Galatia, instructs Christians. He says, if anyone is caught in any trespass, in a sin... He says, you who are spiritual, he says, restore. Well, there's going to be some discernment here. And if you're going to restore, there's going to be some disciplining going on here. If you're going to restore someone in sin. He said, but he says, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So how should it be administered? It needs to be done with love. It needs to be done in truth. It needs to be done with self-examination and gentleness. It needs to be done with patience or long-suffering. Paul, in writing to Timothy the evangelist, instructing him in regard to the work of a preacher and the attitude of, of him in that work says, Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. How? With great patience. Some persons use with great long-suffering. That's another good translation of that Greek word. With great patience and with great long-suffering and instruction. And so when we're administering it, once again, it's with patience and long-suffering that is to be done. It's not, okay, you did it once and the problem solved. No. Mistakes tend to be repeated, aren't they? In all of our lives. And so, yes, the recipient must endure the discipline and the administrator of that discipline must do so with love and patience. But finally, we talk about the attitude, and that is in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, talk to the church there and what they need to do in regard to an erring and lost brother. He says, Paul says, I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Discipline should always be with the objective being salvation. That's the objective. The objective of discipline When you are trying to be the right kind of parent or the right kind of brother in the Lord, the objective of discipline is always to be for the purpose of salvation. That's why it must be administrated with love, in truth, self-examination, gentleness, and patience. And what we see in considering this idea of, of the attitudes on both sides of this equation is this, that both the trainer, the discipliner, as well as the trainee, the disciplinee, both people in that relationship must cultivate and must maintain righteous attitudes. 
for the fruit of righteousness to grow, for the fruit of righteousness to multiply. Both must exemplify Christ-mindedness. This is hard to do for us. We're all growing up in the Lord. And we all, that's why we all continually need discipline along the way on all these different facets of life. With that said, let us kind of turn more so to the idea of father's role and the family. So clearly in Ephesians chapter 6, fathers are instructed, fathers are being commanded, raise your children in the training or in the discipline of the Lord. Once again, the Lord's discipline, the Lord's discipline calls for instruction, it calls for reproof, it calls for rebuke, and it calls for correction. It calls for all four of those aspects. And fathers are being instructed here in Ephesians 6 to exercise all four of those. To instruct, to reprove, to rebuke, and to correct. So let's just talk a little bit about that and try to make some applications that perhaps could be beneficial. As you weigh weigh these words in your own heart and make the application. First of all, Let's begin with the idea of instruction. Instruct your children in God's righteousness. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, Proverbs 1, verse 8, the inspired word of God says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. The simple point I want to make here is this. Both parents... Both parents are to be actively involved in the teaching in the home. Both parents, father and mother, are to be actively involved in the teaching and the instruction in the home. And so dads, I'm in that number as well. And as dads, we're not exempt. We're not exempt just because we may be out working, putting 8, 10, 12 hours a day to provide and care and meet those responsibilities. That is not to be neglected. Yeah. But we must remind ourselves as we're doing that, that does not exempt us from the teaching and the instruction that we as dads are to be doing. In Ephesians 6, the emphasis is to the dads, to, to bring up the kids in God's instruction. And so we're not exempt just because there are some time factors that challenge us. Having... A godly wife who is a godly mother to your children, our children, our grandchildren, is vital. That's part of the idea of the help meet that you and I need. We need our wives and we need the mothers of our children to help us to do our job well and effectively. But we are not to be expecting our, our wives and the mother of our children 
to, to do it all for us and us just kind of you know, sign at the bottom of the page. No, both parents are to be actively involved. Secondly, is the idea of how we need to make sure that we are establishing the foundation that parental authority will be obeyed. Parental authority will be obeyed. Proverbs again says, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Yes, parents have the authority in the home. And they are to make sure and they are trying to exercise the discipline so that that authority is respected and received properly. And so as parents, we must be consistent in reinforcing that the parents' rules and the parents' expectations are to be obeyed. I'm not saying anything that you don't already know. But, you know, sometimes we just need reminders. Sometimes we just need a, you know, a push to keep doing what you're already doing right. But here's a thought. As parents, do, do what you say to your children. If you don't, you're lying to them. So stop the repetitious, empty threats. I think all of us have had those moments, perhaps in a situation where we're a little bit uncomfortable to, you know, to take a little bit stronger measure, perhaps when you're in public. And so he's like, if you do that again, you're going to get in trouble. And you can put in whatever the trouble is going to be. We say that once, we say that twice, we say that three. The second time you say it and nothing happened, you just lie to your kids. Because usually we say, if you do this one more time. So you've got to make sure they understand that the commandment of the father and the law of the mother is going to be respected. It's going to be obeyed. That's, that's part of the instruction that is involved in bringing up your children in the Lord's way. Now, age-appropriate consequences ought to be suffered when there's disobedience. You think about the biblical principle of, of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, when it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. What, whatever a man sows, that is what he will reap. You know, children need to learn the concept of reaping what you sow. And so age-appropriate you know, consequences you know, should be suffered along the path of their growing up. You think about the idea of teaching God's rights. It's very important to understand that all of God's ways are good. All of God's ways are right. In Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, verse 12, talks about the character of divine law. And divine law is always right. It's always good. And so verse 7 reads in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, it says, So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. The law that God gave to Israel through Moses was holy, was right, and was good. 
The law of faith and the covenant of Christ that we are under now today is holy, is right, and, and is good. So we need to make sure we are instructing our children and our grandchildren that God's word of righteousness is the authority, and it's the authority that everybody is accountable to. Everybody may not listen to God, everybody may not obey God, but everybody is accountable to that, and you're going to stress that to your children, that what God says is wrong and sinful is truly wrong and sinful. And what God says, you know, you know, what he commands to be done is to be obeyed. And so as parents, we need to exemplify that. We need to exemplify in our life that we are listening and obeying our Heavenly Father so they can learn how to obey their earthly father and in turn love their Heavenly Father. One example of just a character application, that is, teach your children to bridle their words. Teach your children to bridle their words. In Colossians chapter 4, this verse is not being specifically addressed to kids. It's being addressed to all of us. But in chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. This is part of the discipline of the Lord here. And it begins with ourselves. Each one of us must learn how to bridle our own words, bridle our speech, so that we speak with grace in our conversations. But there, we need to carry over this principle to our children as they're coming up. That there, there, is, there is a wrong way to talk and there is a right way to talk. And so the worldly and the ungodly words are not fitting for God's people, and it's not going to be fitting in your home to use that kind of language. But don't allow disrespectful words or disrespectful tones to be addressed to you as a parent. Don't allow them to disrespect you with their words. Probably if we, you know, had a confessional about our childhood, <laughs> every one of us would have had to admit that there are times that we use dis- disrespectful words or disrespectful tones and we needed to suffer the consequence of that kind of speech. We had to learn. We had to be disciplined. And, dis- and words must be disciplined. But children need to learn this. They, they cannot and will not be allowed to use disrespectful words or tones in addressing you or to other people as well. You know, there are times to talk and there are times to be quiet. And kids need to learn that. We all need to learn that. And so we need to teach our children. When we think about instructing in the ways of righteousness, the, the, the mouth, the lips, the words is a big, big lesson to learn for all of us. But godly discipline also uses corrective punishment. He uses this corrective punishment when necessary to regulate behavior. Remember, the goal of your parental you know, 
disciplining is to exercise the kind of discipline so that your children share in God's holiness. That's the goal. The goal is so they can share in God's holiness. So they will call upon the name of the Lord and become God's adoptive child as well. It's not about doing what's easy for us. It's not about doing what's convenient for us in the moment. The goal is to save their souls. Because painfully, our innocent children will grow up and they will sever themselves from their creator by sin. And we're laying the groundwork to help them have the tools to turn to their creator for salvation. And so painful, godly chastisement is necessary at times. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, a text that speaks quite in length about the subject of disciplining or chastening. In chapter 12, it just... It's just somewhat sobering to think about the words and the harshness of the words that our God, our Heavenly Father, uses to describe His discipline of us as His adopted children. But here in chapter 12, verse 5, He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Now listen, you know, you may have some little different words used here, but whatever, whatever version you have, it's going to be strong. He says, verse, seven, verse 6 again, you know, for those you know, you know, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges, this is the New American Standard Version, he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That is strong language, my friend. God, God's saying, I discipline because I love you. And at times I might even... What did he say? I might even throw a few lashes in the process. When you disobey me. And so yes. There are times. When a painful godly chastisement. A painful godly discipline. Is necessary. To bring disobedience in line. With what's right. And what's good. So that we all are in. The light. God. Is infinitely. Long suffering. And God is infinitely merciful. That's why we have forgiveness. There is forgiveness because of the mercy and grace of God that ultimately grows out of his love for humanity. And so, yes, his long-suffering and his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. But we must not eliminate you know, the other aspect of God's character, and that is God is also righteously just to punish disobedience in order to produce the fruits of repentance. In verse 11 of the same chapter of Hebrews 12, it says, 
All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Why is that? Because discipline is painful. Discipline can be difficult. Discipline is hard to endure. Whether you're talking about personal discipline, family discipline, or congregational discipline. It's, it's hard. It's difficult. But he goes on. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, there's going to be times that you need to reprove. Excuse me. You're going, you're going to need to reprove your children. Go back here. In Proverbs, again, chapter 6, it says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. Reproofs for discipline are the way of life. That's an interesting thought to ponder. Reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Reproof denotes the idea of wrongdoing, you know, that exposing wrongdoing, that's part of proof, but that's not where it stops. When you talk about reproof, yes, you need to expo- expose what's, what's been done wrong and convict the person of what he's done. Don't just yell at them. It's not about us kind of, you know, getting upset, you know, they've done wrong, and, we're, and, and, we're, and we just kind of yell at our kids. There's a time to raise your voice to get their attention. <laughs> But remember, reproof is about exposing the wrong, not because we're tired or we're irritated or you know, it's really kind of you know, messed up our routine for the day. You know, expose the wrongdoing and convict the person of that. And while you do that, don't, don't worry about what the world thinks. That's easy to say. <laughs> when you're out there in the world and you're, try- and you're trying to deal with a situation... <laughs> And people may see how you're dealing with, that, dealing with that. We have a tendency to think we worry about what the world thinks. You know, that's, that's, that's just kind of nature. We do that sometimes. And that's not good. Don't worry about the world thinks. What you need to be concerned about, what does God think? What does God want you to do in that situation? With firm, loving hands, guide your children in the path of righteousness at all times. Do it at home, yes, but also do it in all these other times you find yourself. In all circumstances, if there's corrective measures that need to be implemented because of the nature of the disobedience, there is discernment, there's judgment that parents must make here. But if there's corrective measures that need to be done, then do it because you love your kids. Corrective punishment, once again, it is a good thing when implemented with a love of God. Proverbs 13 talks about this idea. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Or over in chapter 22, when he says, foolish is bound up in the heart of a child. That That was a description of me. You know, foolishness was bound up in my heart as a child. But the rod of discipline, you know, was implemented to remove it far from me. You know, bearing the painful consequences of disobedience during childhood, the right kind of discipline, the right kind of chastisement, the right kind of corrective measures, bearing those painful moments in your childhood guards us against the greater consequences 
of our sins in adulthood. Have you ever thought about the idea of how did Jesus learn obedience? Have you thought about that? How did Jesus learn obedience? What does Hebrews 5, 8 tell you? Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Yeah. Suffering, a, suffering a little bit because of disobedience. When implemented with love and, with, and, and being applied correctly with the proper attitudes, it's good. It is right. Because discipline is a refining process designed to remove what is bad, remove what's corrupt, so what is good, so what is pure, can grow and can blossom. You know, this is, this is a challenging you know, lesson for all of us because we're all, we are all in need of discipline along the, the path of life. Not only in our childhood, but also in our adulthood. We still need discipline. And so, yes, we ought to honor God. We ought to honor God in all that we do. And we ought to honor God in all that we say, including in our family relationships. And also included in how we raise our children, our grandchildren. Apply God's discipline. Apply God's discipline to those you love. Because God loves them. God loves them. More than you do. And his son paid the price. We all need discipline. We all need God's discipline in our life because we all have disobeyed. We've all sinned. But do we, do we have the heart, do we have the mind to receive the discipline that God, at this very moment, is instructing you? Do you have the ears to hear the gospel? To hear the truth about Jesus Christ? And to hear the truth about Je- what Jesus and what the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, what they all did for us so that we can have a relationship with our Creator and we can spend eternity with our Heavenly Father and our King and our Comforter. Will you heed God? Will you listen to Him? Will you obey Jesus this morning? Jesus says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That may sound like an oversimplification, But it's pretty much that simple. That we have a heart of faith that's willing to submit to the will of the one who paid the price for us. That we're ready to make the changes. We're we're ready to repent of the sins we have committed. Turn from that to confess our faith that Jesus is the Son of God. And that he died on Calvary and was raised on the third day. We've got to believe that too. Not only that he died, but we've got to believe in his resurrection. And then be buried with him in the watery grave of baptism. Are you ready to make that decision? The Lord calls you. We encourage you. Please come forward. Make your spiritual needs known while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>